Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Is it starting to feel like summer? We, uh, I, I wasn't here last Sunday, and it's really good to be here this Sunday. We were on vacation. We were in the States visiting some of my wife's side of the family that we hadn't seen in years, and it's crazy, even though you're not there to watch the cousins still grow, you know? Uh, so we saw them after a number of years. We had a family wedding on Friday. We had a barbecue with friends yesterday who are moving out of town. It feels like summer, doesn't it? Are you getting there? Canada Day long weekend? Uh, I'm excited for this summer series on prayer. I hope you are too. I'm excited for this whole prayer movement that God initiated uh, through Doug, we, we had a prayer team meet this morning, actually, pre-service. Uh, Jason McClellan uh, had prayer out in the church office there, pre-service. We're hoping to do that every Sunday from this point on, 10 a.m. So if you're interested in being part of a prayer team, part of this prayer movement, praying together corporately, uh, then you can chat with Jason after the service. Doug's here as well. We just want to foster this conversation on prayer. What does it look like to have a conversation with God in prayer and with one another as a church family and to honor and to value prayer in our church? Um, I guess you might call this Missions Month. Uh, Casa Hogar was a last-minute entry into our service today, but we're so glad that Rick and Ina were here, get to hear about the home, hear how God is blessing and working in the home. Nine new kids. I mean, Casa Hogar hasn't necessarily had it easy the last couple of years. I mean, COVID went through the home, wildfires in Honduras, and then here we get to hear reports of how God is blessing and working in the home. So we hear about Casa Hogar today. Next Sunday, we have Pastor Jerry Stearns here with us. Jerry's related to a few in the church family, I guess, here. You might need to make that connection, but he's going to be preaching next Sunday, and he's going to be talking about Abraham and Abraham's intercession on behalf of the people in the book of Exodus. If you want to read ahead, I think it's chapter 32 and 33, if you want to mark that down. We'll also remind you of that on social media tomorrow. Uh, but he's also going to be presenting on Assist Canada and their ministry in Cuba and his heart for the Cuban people. The following Sunday, July 17th, we have Andy Arden here with Wayfarers Church, which is the church plant in Spryfield. Do you remember that? Do you get the newsletter, the Spryfield newsletter? Uh, you might remember that we gave our special Christmas Eve offering to the church plant in Spryfield, this Wayfarers Church. So Andy's going to be here. I think his family might be here too. But he's going to preach on July 17th, just two weeks away, Psalm chapter 51, if you want to read ahead, David's prayer of confession. And he's going to be presenting on their ministry there in Spryfield as well. So I guess you could say July's like missions month here at Faith Baptist Church. I think that's really cool. Um, speaking of missions, uh, open arms. You guys been thinking and praying for open arms and how they're doing? Pastor Doug and Lillian, they're off on sabbatical. I actually get to be there to preach next Sunday. It'll be my first Sunday to be there for a Sunday service in their new facility. I say new, but it's like two years old now, which is wild, uh, but it'll be my first Sunday there. So I'm hoping to get some video, do a little report, and uh, we'll let you know how things are going at Open Arms uh, if, you, if you haven't been keeping up there. Last Sunday, Alex kicked off our Conversation with God series talking about Abraham and Sarah. I liked what he talked about with 
learning the language of prayer. And then he kind of showed off praying in French or talking in French, right? Is anybody able to translate that? Know what he said? I don't know, maybe you translated it online if you were participating online. I'm not sure about that. But understanding the language of prayer. If we spend time in God's word, if we spend consistent time in conversation with God in prayer, we're going to get better at discerning his voice and understanding when he speaks. It's like any relationship. The more we chat, the more we converse, the more we get to know their voice. I love what Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, they know my voice, they come to me. I love what he said about praying big prayers. Sarah laughed when God said, you know, you're going to bear a son in your old age. She laughed and then they called him Isaac, which means laughter. She didn't really believe, did she? Are we afraid to pray big prayers because the outcome might not line up with what we want to see? Are we afraid to pray big prayers? But God is able, God is faithful, and if God wills, it can happen. So here's the question of the day, are you ready? When was the last time you had a good wrestle? Like a good wrestle, like a good physical roll on the ground, get some dirt on your knees, maybe a little bit of blood in there, like a good, you know, just a good wrestle. Maybe it's you and the cousin, you and a grandchild, you and a nephew maybe, just a good wrestle. I'm guessing it's been a while. I can't think of the last time I, well, I guess I wrestle with my kids once in a while, but like a good wrestle. We're going to be talking about Jacob wrestling the man. Would you pray with me as we begin? Let's pray. God, would you teach us today to wrestle rightly? God, help us to grapple with the reality of our humanity, but then also the gift of that new spiritual life that you've given us through Jesus Christ. Help us not to give in willy-nilly to the ways of this world. Help us to embrace your truth. Help us to wrestle with your will, your plans for our lives. God, would we not strive in our own strength? Would we be utterly dependent on you? You are the master you're the creator, God, you're the sustainer, you're omnipotent, you're omniscient, and we are dirt, if not for your breath of life. So God, help us to live with that sense of complete reliance on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 32 is where we're going to be today. If you didn't catch that in the video or in the reading reminder post or the newsletter that goes out on Thursdays, we want you to be in the Word of God. We want you to be reading the Word of God. I don't want you just to take my word for it. I want you to dig into it for yourself. Because when you do have questions about Scripture, I'm not always going to be there to answer them. The person that you typically go to with those questions may not always be there to answer them. God calls us to rightly divide his truth, each one of us. So turn to Genesis chapter 32 this morning. And would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word today? We're going to read just 10 verses, and I would encourage you to stand. Genesis 32, verses 22 to 32. It says, The same night he, Jacob, arose, took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them, he sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. 
Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. May God bless the reading of his word today. You may be seated. A good wrestle. Does prayer ever seem like a wrestle? A grapple? Maybe like a fight? We've all been in regular, everyday conversations that seem like a fight, right? You're trying to gain the upper hand. You're trying to submit somebody to see it your way. Like an argument, you're going back and forth. You're trying to point out the weakness, the flaw in their point of view, and why they should come over on your side. Fight. I'm not a big fan of how those conversations typically go. But if you're desperate for something, if you truly believe in something, if you truly place a lot of value in something, you're going to fight for it, right? What's your level of desperation right now? As an Atlantic Canadian on Canada Day weekend, 2022, the weather's all right out there today. After the barbecue that he had yesterday and a nice family wedding in a picturesque setting, <clears throat> what's your level of desperation today? Do you feel like you're clinging to the end of the rope or do, or do you feel like you're pretty comfortable? What's your level of desperation? We talked about the life of Jacob on Father's Day. Do you remember that? We gave this really quick overview of Joseph and then Jacob, his dad, and basically said, if Jacob can do it, you can do it, dad, because it's not about your performance. You're going to mess up. It's about God's grace and mercy flowing into your life and that example showing to your kids, leading with the limp. Here's a guy who seemed to live with a level of desperation, Right? Life seems to be a fight for Jacob. God says, in your womb, Rebekah, are two nations, and they're already striving together. Jacob was fighting with his twin brother Esau before they were ever born. He's grabbing the heel. He's trying to be first. He's fighting for the birthright, the bowl of lentil stool. He flights, fights for the blessing. He pretends to be Esau. He's on the run from Esau. Sleeping with a rock for a pillow, that sounds like desperation, doesn't it? He works seven years for the wrong woman, seven years for the right woman. That's desperation, isn't it? He's on the run again. Now big brother Esau is coming his way, and Jacob hasn't seen Esau in years. He thinks he wants to kill him. He's scared. He's desperate. He thinks he's going to die 
He's at the end of his rope. Desperation. But in his desperation, he's got to try in his own strength, doesn't he? Jacob sends a messenger to Esau, offering gifts. Esau is not interested in the gifts. He sends the messenger back. No, I want to see my little brother face to face. And oh, by the way, he's got 400 men with him, Jacob. Jacob shivering in his boots. So he decides to get a little tricky, hence his name, the deceiver, the heel grabber. He divides his family down the middle, probably put Leah and her kids over here, Rachel and her kids over here. He divides the animals, the herds right down the middle as well. And his thinking is, if Esau sees this group first and attacks them, then maybe this group has a chance to flee and get away. Plan B. That way he won't lose everything. But he doesn't think that's good enough. He needs, he needs another plan, a plan C. He didn't accept the first gift, Esau didn't, so I'm gonna make a bigger, better gift. It's like, please don't hurt me, you can take my lunch money. You can take everything I have, just don't hurt me, spare my life. So hundreds of goats, hundreds of sheep, camels, cows, donkeys, servants, he sends them all ahead of him with the announcement, these are your servants, Jacob's, and now they're yours. You can have everything Jacob has. Just spare his life. And his words are, Jacob says this in scripture, maybe this will appease Esau because he feared Esau. He wants to find favor in the sight of Esau. That's Jacob's problem, isn't it? He's been running from Esau. He's been running from Uncle Laban. He's been trying to please people. He's been trying to blow smoke, smoke and mirrors, trickery, trying to get his own way. He's wrestling with flesh and blood, isn't he? He's fighting family to try and get ahead. He's trying to please man to preserve his own life rather than pleasing God who gave him his life. Find favor in the sight of God. Or man. Look, look where all of his trickery has left him. Let's go back to verse 22, that first verse that we read. That same night, he knows Esau is coming. He's divided all his family. He sent all of his flocks and herds ahead as a gift to Esau. Night has fallen. He takes his wives, his female servants, his 11 children, crosses the ford at Jabuk. Verse 23, he took them, sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was left alone. Jacob's alone. He has nothing. He has no one. You know what you call that? Desperate. Desperation. Jacob thinks he's going to lose his life in the morning. He's scared his family won't escape. He's already given up everything that he has in this world. Now it's just him. It's dark and he's alone. I feel like this may be somewhat cliche, but every time that I get to speak on prayer, I, li I like to use this line because I think it's so true. Why do we always make prayer our last resort instead of our first response? Why do we always seem to try in our own strength and then we get to that dark, lonely night, the valley of despair of the soul 
And in that last ditch effort, we got to throw our prayer up asking for God to save us from our own calamity that we got ourselves into in our own strength. Why do, why do we wait to the last minute? It's the day of the exam. God, would you help me with this? But didn't you know that you were getting the exam when you got the syllabus at the start of the semester three months earlier? Why, why didn't we start praying back then? Why, why wouldn't we have prayed that prayer yesterday? Why wouldn't we have prayed that prayer last week? Is there anything wrong with praying the prayer in the moment when you're stuck? I don't think so. But why not pray before that? Because <laughs> in this world, we know we're going to have trouble. We know there are going to be trials and tribulations and testings of the faith. James tells us that. Why wouldn't we pray for those things now? You know what a Hail Mary is, right? In football, the clock is running down. There's only time for one more play. They've thrown the playbook out and the coach is just yelling, throw it all the way. So they hike the ball. The defensemen are holding back. Those big burly guys, the quarterback just has one quick moment to throw up a prayer, right? Throw up a Hail Mary. He's just hoping and praying that somebody's going to be in the end zone to catch this long bomb. And he tosses up a Hail Mary. It's a term for a Catholic prayer, right? Just one last ditch effort. Throwing up one last hope. The game's pretty much done. You're probably not going to win, but it's just, it's just one last effort, and I hope somebody's there to catch it. Does that sound like your prayer life? That was my prayer life in high school. Oh, we've got a pop quiz today? God, please help me remember what I didn't study. Oh, was I speeding on the highway? God, I pray that that's not a cop behind me in that white car. Jacob's alone. He's given up everything and everyone. He's worked so hard to try and get in his own strength and striving. And this is the final moments. Should we stop and pray? Oh no, it's not that bad yet. We still have a few things we can try before we have to stop and pray, right? Still have a few plan Bs we can go through. Final moments. There's nothing wrong with those prayers, but shouldn't we pray preemptively? The disciples, when Jesus said, we must go to the other side, and then he fell asleep in the boat, were, th were they praying as they were putting the boat in, God, would you give us safe travels? Because they were sure praying when they were in the thick of the storm, Master, wake up, do you not care that we're perishing? Those final Hail Mary prayers. Genesis 32, look at verse 24. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate that. As if things weren't bad enough. I wonder if he thought he was wrestling Esau or one of Esau's men. Like, who does Jacob think this guy is? I've always been intrigued by the wrestling. Why the wrestling? Seems odd. Seems random, kind of seems childish, elementary, maybe. Why wrestle? This, this is a theophany. This is a physical manifestation of God 
in the Old Testament, as we're going to find out based on the conversation between the two. So Jacob wrestles God? Like, are they rolling in the dirt? Headlocks? Arm locks? Full Nelson? Wet willies? It's just hard to picture, isn't it? Jacob wrestled with God. But prayer kind of has to start somewhere, doesn't it? And some of these simple, elementary, maybe childish, introductory ideas around wrestling, the physical grappling... It kind of reminds me of groanings and utterings from the Spirit on our behalf, doesn't it? Cries for help. Let's jump to verse 25. Why the wrestling? When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, now it wasn't because of his own strength. It wasn't because Jacob was so strong or his performance was so slick or he had his Brazilian jiu-jitsu on point. Because look at what the man does next. He touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. It's all fun and games until someone's hip gets dislocated, right? I always tell my kids that. I don't think I've ever said that in my life. Until <laughs> someone loses an eye, that's what we say. But God's kind of toying with Jacob, isn't he? Jacob thinks this is an even wrestling match. All night they wrestled and the man didn't prevail. Then God just touches his hip socket. I love that. That's what it says. He, he touched his hip socket. It wasn't some sort of leg lock. He didn't wrench on his leg. He just touched it. And Jacob is rendered totally helpless, completely desperate, defenseless, I mean, the guy can't even stand on his own two feet. He's just clinging to the man. I was reading this week about wrestling. Because sometimes in pastor's study, you know, we got to do what we got to do. So I watched some wrestling videos. <laughs> Apparently, most of the strength and power comes from the hips. Did you know that? Like... Uh, when you're going to throw a punch, first, first you throw your hip and the power comes from the hip. Or like when you're wrestling and you, you want to throw the person, you, you step with your hip and you throw with your hip, right? Or in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, when you're on the floor, I only took one lesson one night and then that was it. That was enough sweaty guys for me. But when you're on the night, when you're on the floor... And that Brazilian jiu-jitsu person is on top of you. The only way to get out of it, it's called a hip shrimp. So you, you push with your hip to try and get them off you and you shift side to side because the power is in the hips. You've seen a sumo wrestler, right? They stand up on stage and then they do that big step. They got their hands on their hips because the lower center of gravity, the better the wrestling, right? You don't want them to lift you up, so you've got to keep your hips firm and planted because the power comes from the hips in wrestling, apparently. I'm not going to give any examples. Don't, don't <laughs> ask about wrestling me after the service. I'm at the point in life where I don't want to give in to that kind of peer pressure. I'll just end up getting injured and complain about it. But with one touch, God removes all of Jacob's physical power 
and strength. All the strength and power to wrestle physically from his hips was lost with just one touch from God. He, he crushes Jacob's physical self-reliance in one touch. He removes Jacob's center of gravity with one touch. His dependence on his own skill and cunning is gone with one touch. And now Jacob realizes what I think is the first time ever he fully realizes that he is totally and utterly dependent upon and desperate for God. If not for God, Jacob is nothing. I think he's realizing this for the first time in this moment as the man touches his hip. That's desperation. When you know the fight is lost and all you can do is hold on. How desperate are you today? I think of Jairus, that man who comes to Jesus when Jesus is in the crowd. A Gentile man coming to a Jewish rabbi and asking for him to save his 12-year-old daughter who's sick to the point of death. And then as they're going to his house, this woman who's had this 12-year issue of blood just reaches out to touch the hem of his garment. Knowing that culturally, and based on the law, she could be totally outed for that. She should not be in there in her uncleanness in the crowd touching him, but she reaches out and touches the hem of the garment. He feels the power go out. Are, are you desperate today for God, for his power, for his strength, for his healing? Desperation. Are you aware of your utter dependence on his strength and provision every moment of your life? Here's where the light bulb clicked for me this week as I was studying this passage. This whole thing about wrestling. What, what on earth is going on here? I never realized this before. Verse 26. Then the man, God, the wrestler, said, Let me go, for the day has broken. Well, why? Because nobody can see the full glory of God and live. God is too holy. Man is too sinful. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27, he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob, the heel grabber, the deceiver, the trickster. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you've striven with God and with men and have prevailed. I like the old time theologian Albert Barnes from the early 1800s, an abolitionist from the States. In 1830, he wrote this, commentating on these verses. Despairing now of his own strength, he is Jacob still. He declares his determination to cling on until his conqueror blesses him. He's Jacob still. What was Jacob's MO? What was his mode of operation? His whole life, well, right from the womb, Jacob is clinging to the heel of his twin brother Esau. He's trying to get that birthright, trying to get that blessing. He clings to Esau's heel, just like he clung to the wrestler that night. 
He sold the stew. He stole the birthright. He stole the blessing. Jacob is clinging to God, refusing to let him go until he receives the blessing. Just like he clung on to Esau, refusing to let him go until he stole the blessing. This wrestling match is a picture of Jacob's whole life. Trying in his own strength to gain the blessing that God had already promised to him in his faithfulness before he was ever born. Jacob wrestling and fighting in his own strength for the gift that only God can give that God has already promised because he's Jacob still, refusing to let go until he steals the blessing. That's Jacob's famous line, I won't let go until you bless me. Esau, I'm not letting go until I receive the blessing. Uncle Laban, I'll work another seven years to receive the blessing. Jacob's life is this wrestling match. He's clinging in his own strength in an effort to secure the blessing that God has already promised. It's this back and forth. He's, he's grappling with God's faithfulness and blessing, but then he's trying to accomplish it in his own strength. He's got this spiritual life promised from God, but he's, he's trying to accomplish it in his own physical strength. And it's just this back and forth grapple, striving. But he realizes now, being totally powerless, that he's completely reliant on God's mercy, grace, and God's will. And he asks for blessing. What was he asking for? Was he asking for wealth? Because he kind of already had that. Think about the elaborate gift that he sent, the family that he had, the health that his family had. Maybe he's asking for protection from Esau. But more than that, he's asking for blessing from the hand of the one who just rendered him powerless. That sounds like a desperate plea for mercy, doesn't it? I don't think Jacob is saying God, I know that you've rendered me totally helpless, but while I'm here clinging on to you, can I ask a few favors? Would you fill my bank account? Would you park the sports car in the driveway and give me an easy, effortless life? That would be kind of ridiculous at that point, wouldn't it? God's blessing is not just the cherry on top. God's blessings are everywhere. God's blessings are in the good days, but also God's blessings are in the bad days. We are told to count our blessings, name them one by one, the old hymn goes. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights coming down from above. Everything we have is a gift. The breath in your lungs is a gift. Whether you think you have health or wealth or not, this day that you get to have is a gift. The family you have is a gift. Children are a blessing and inheritance from the Lord. You want to know what blessed looks like? Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Whether or not we see reward on earth, Jesus says your reward is great in heaven. We have spiritual blessing. We have physical blessing. Desperation, dependence, everything we have is a gift. If we could keep that mentality and that focus, we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, 
In fact, you know what we did earn? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Separation from God forever, eternally, in a place that the Bible calls hell. The worst part of hell is being separated from God, and that's the definition of spiritual death. That's what we earned in our own strength. Anything we experience other than spiritual separation from God is a blessing from the hand of God. You don't just need his blessing for the Hail Mary, the last ditch effort moment. You need God's blessing every day, moment by moment. It's because of his mercy we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. God, we need your blessing right now for our next breath. The blessing for Jacob is the name change. Jacob, which meant deceiver, is now changed to Israel, which means prince of God, victorious with God, conqueror through God, contending with God. Jacob's victory, his blessings in life are not in his own strength and performance. It's from his utter reliance on God because he can't even stand on his own two feet. Isn't that the nature of the gospel? We are helplessly and hopelessly lost and desperate for a savior from our sin. We couldn't fight our way out. We couldn't work our way out. But God, because of his gracious love and mercy that he lavishes on us, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we receive that blessing, we receive that gift, we receive that salvation through faith, not performance, not of works so that no one can boast, but it's the gift of God through reliance on God, total and utter dependence and desperation for God's strength and power in our life. Albert Barnes said this, God can overthrow all the prowess of the self-reliant, but he cannot resist the earnest entreaty of the helpless. Makes me think of Jesus' parable that he tells the, the Pharisee who stands up and he says, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, sinners, revilers, tax collectors. Then there's this sinner over here and he's down on his knees on the ground. And he's beating his chest. He's saying, forgive me, God. Forgive me, God, a sinner. Have mercy on me, God. Look at verses 30 and 31 to close. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. What would our prayer life look like if we realized our dependence on God right here, right now? What if we called out to him consistently with a heart of, of desperation for his blessings, for his grace, for his mercy? Because our limp reminds us that we can't even stand on our own two feet. What would that look like? What if we stopped trying to do it in our own strength? What if we stop throwing last hope, last ditch effort prayers as we sit down to write the test or as we go into the storm in life 
let's get this picture of when we pray of, of clinging on to God because we can't stand in our own strength. Instead of asking God to bless our efforts, let's call upon God in, in our total helplessness and desperation. So let's do that now. Would you pray with me now? God, as we come before you today, we, we're not coming in our Sunday best We're not coming to present to you a week of holy living. We're not coming to show you the checklist of our scripture readings this week and how we did our due diligence. We're not coming reminding you of all the ways that we encouraged people, of all the ways that we are your hands and feet. We are coming with you with open hands, nothing to give you but all that we are because you've given it all to us, Father. God, we get to love you only because you first loved us. Thank you so much for taking that step. Thank you so much for offering your son as the sacrifice for our sins. God, we are utterly and totally helpless if not for your grace and mercy and your loving kindness in the face of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the tomb. God, thank you that Anything we have in this life is only from your hand, and without you, we are but dust. God, I'm scared to pray this prayer, but would, would you help us to understand that our, our dependence on you, our total depravity before you, give us a renewed sense of our desperation for you, God. God, help us not to do it in our own strength. God, if we're building castles in the sand, would you send that storm before we've gone too far? God, would you call us back to yourself? God, we want to be totally reliant on you for everything we have, everything we are, and everything that we hope and seek to accomplish in this life for your glory and for your honor, through your strength and your power. Thank you for who you are to us today, God. Thank you that you are the magnificent God, the creator and ruler of the universe, the sustainer of our very existence. Thank you that you hold us up because God, we are so reliant on you. We can't stand on our own two feet. We need you every hour, God. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.